Um, so, a uh, couple of announcements here. Um, I uh, Rebecca just gave these to me, and I'm realizing that uh, perhaps I don't have all of the information. Uh, okay, so that one's good. All right. So, um, uh, Young Adults uh, Bible Study, beginning this Friday uh, here, uh, different than uh, the others that we've uh, had in the past, uh, being led by Oliver Pryor, going to be an apologetics study and its theme. They're going to be going verse by verse uh, through the scripture and examining a number of uh, things as they go, but you know, uh, developing that more uh, along the lines of, you know, an apologetics course that they'll be going through. So um, speak to Oliver. I'm going to get my facts wrong on uh, some of this because um, it's been developing and I, I've talked to him off and on and I don't know what our current status is. So um, this Friday, uh, right here at uh, 6.30 p.m., uh, ages, uh, am I correct, 19 to 30? Do we remember that? So 18 to 30, 19, 19, 18 to 30 years old, young adults. Um, that'll make some of us feel really good, you know what I'm saying? So young adults, I mean, not, uh, 30 years old. So uh, talk uh, with Oliver about that. Uh, anything uh, that you might want to be, uh, you know, questioning. And there are, you know, it's a great opportunity to invite people. That's really, uh, you know, the big thing is uh, wanting to use it uh, to draw people in, to bring them uh, to the study. As I understand it, no child care provided at that. So just, you know, pen them into one room and leave out a big bowl of food and they'll be fine. You know, when you get home, they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, youth event, uh, this November 16th. Uh, through the 18th. It's now on the homepage of our website. If you haven't looked at the website recently, that's all new. And um, in particular, Rebecca was showing me some stuff tonight. And the, uh, the audio uh, files are much easier uh, to get to uh, on our website now. There was sort of like a one, two, three link thing that you had to go through before that's all streamlined it's now on uh, the website it's not taking you someplace else so things are going to uh, continue to improve uh, there the youth night uh, that's on the uh, new web page as I said November 16th through the 18th uh, I'm not why not sure why it's called youth night and we're going from the 16th to the 18th but we'll uh, figure that whole thing out. This is ages uh, 12 to 19 here. Uh, worship, teaching, indoor activities, going to take the kids bowling. Uh, the boys will be receiving instruction in uh, 22 uh, shooting out back uh, so that they can gain some skills and safety and understanding uh, there. A huge uh, Nerf war that's going to go on. Uh, the ladies are going to be doing some other activities, uh, but uh, Bible, notebook, sleeping bag, air mattress, pillow, toiletries, all of that sort of stuff. Leaders, uh, prominently Evan, Abby, Zach, Rebecca, James, and Oliver. There will be some others involved uh, with that. 5.30 p.m. There is a cost uh, to this one, covering a bunch of stuff, $30.00. Uh, per person. Sign up deadline November 11th. If you have any questions, uh, you can uh, ask how to register. There's a registration out front. Uh, you can speak to me, Zach, uh, or Rebecca uh, have most of the details. So that's uh, my mangling of the two announcements that I've been given as we begin. Isaiah chapter 2 is uh, where we're going to be this evening for uh, our study. So let's Pray, and then we will begin. Father, I thank you uh, very much that we're able to be here, that you've given us this place, this time, this opportunity, and we ask that as we 
spend this time together that you would minister to us, that we would hear your voice and be led by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. It's so necessary in our lives. I pray that this passage this evening would speak to our hearts and minister to us in such a way that it would ignite a fire in us and cause us to have a longing uh, for you and draw us close to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 2, um, we just uh, heard the Lord's uh, warning and woes uh, that were being declared uh, about the sin and how corrupt the nation is, keeping in mind that Isaiah uh, ministers to both uh, the nation of uh, Israel in the north and uh, sending messages indirectly to Judah in the south. And once uh, Israel is carried away into captivity from the north, then he shifts his focus entirely over to Judah in the south. So the messages go back and forth and they become more prominently directed at Judah as we move on. <clears throat> so verse 1, uh, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem and then he gives us this time frame. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. So in particular, this is one of those occasions where especially Isaiah puts forward the foretelling of prophecy. You know, we really want to keep that in mind that at times there is the foretelling and you can think of it like speaking forth something on behalf of the Lord. Often it will be accompanied by the phrase, you know, thus saith the Lord. So the prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord and speaking forth something, you know, to an audience or to listeners. Then you have the foretelling. And you can think of that as telling something before it happens. So putting something forth or speaking before the occasion. Those are generally the two ways that a prophet will speak on behalf of the Lord. So kind of dual, but more that at this point, this is foretelling. He's speaking about the things that are going to take place before they happen. And here he tells us when these will take place, the latter days, and that's now. Okay, well, it isn't any time previous to this, uh, and I say now, we're on the cusp of this taking place. So these things have not happened yet. They're still ahead of us, and we're cresting into that point where we'll tip over the timeline, and these things will begin to unfold. Particularly, this is referring to the millennial reign. Of Jesus Christ, the 1,000 years that Jesus rules the earth physically from his throne here on the earth. Now, I want to be clear. There are teachers today that insist that the teaching of, in particular, the rapture is a new creation within the church. That's false. Those teachers also teach that the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ is a relatively new teaching within the church. Totally false. Okay, The chillists were those in the first century that the, the founding fathers of the church were saying, believed in the pre-tribulation rapture and the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. So we're chillists, and all, all that were alive then and were being taught were also. The, the church leaders at that time said it was only the heretics and the false teachers that believed other than that. So pre-tribulation rapture and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ were essential doctrines to the church. Those first century church leaders said they had learned these things directly from the apostles and even gave account that one of the apostles 
still alive had had a revelation and confirmed these things to them. They're referring to John. John is still alive in that first century, and he's teaching them these things. And and they're saying anyone who holds a different view than pre-tribulation rapture and 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ physically here on the earth was a heretic and a false teacher, and people should avoid them, have nothing to do with them. So today, when we're teaching it, we're holding to the foundational teachings of Christian doctrine. They were so essential then that if we were sitting down now and saying, okay, what should we include in the Apostles' Creed? If we were looking back over the history of the church, we might include pre-tribulation rapture and millennial reign of Jesus Christ in the Apostles' Creed. You know, there are those now that say that's a non-essential doctrine. That's not how the early church leaders felt. So here, I bring it up because Isaiah is going to embark on a bunch of discussion about what the world is going to be like when Jesus Christ rules here on earth from his throne, uh, presumably at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem from Mount Zion. So here it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, and there you have it, the, the temple of the Lord, we presume, shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now, there are some biblical uh, reasons to think that when Jesus Christ comes, for instance, and he touches down upon earth, right? Because the angels said to the apostles, in the same manner in which you've seen him ascend to heaven, he will return. So we read in the scripture that when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, it's going to split the mountain. Okay, So there's going to be massive geological changes to the earth worldwide, and we're going to see some more of that as we move through these chapters but in particular to Jerusalem. So when it says that this location will be you know, exalted, there are some that speculate that the actual mountaintop will be elevated, that, that physically it will be lifted up. That's quite possible. But there's also the thought that this is a spiritual sense of exaltation. Uh, to this day, no matter where they are in Israel, when they travel to Jerusalem, which very often is down, they will say, let us go up to Jerusalem. Because in their mind, in their heart, and they, they aren't even thinking about that when they say that, Jerusalem is spiritually exalted. It's lifted up above any other location on earth. In the heart of the believers, the idea that it is above everything else is tantamount to their belief, that it's the most significant and most important. So it's very possible that it will be physically lifted up, but it'll definitely be spiritually lifted up to everyone. As you just saw, all the nations shall flow to it. There's that sense of free flowing, like, you know, the brook or the river just flows to its destination. There's there's nothing stopping it or, or, you know, keeping it from going to where it belongs. You know, you think about Jerusalem and Israel right now, the world is sort of being drawn to it. But as the scripture says, it's a cup of trembling. It's almost like, you know, they don't really want to be involved with all that is so treacherous surrounding Israel and Jerusalem, but you got to deal with it, right? You know, when, when a president moves their nation's embassy to Jerusalem, everybody's suddenly got to pay attention to that all over again. So right now, you don't see that free-flowing desire that's causing people to just with ease and comfort come to it now it's 
halted and jumbled and, you know, the hook is set in the jaw, drawing people, you know, almost forcibly into Jerusalem. When Christ reigns, they will flow to it. Verse 3, many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and there Yahweh, the all caps for the word Lord, Lord, his name, to the house of the God of Jacob. And I love this. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. That's a Bible study to sign up for right there. Capital H, he, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus is going to teach the people his ways. That'll be a magnificent thing to be involved in there, to flow freely into Jerusalem and to learn directly from Jesus. I always think of Luke 24. You have those disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus begins in Genesis, and all of the prophets teaches them of the Messiah, that's, that's a Bible study worth being involved in. You know, so, something to consider, you guys, about Luke 24 and what we're reading here is their eyes are closed to Jesus and who he is. And how does Jesus open their eyes? Teaching them the word. Right? He's teaching them the word. You know, a lot of people want to have the best worship team or they want to have the most exciting, you know, church service or the greatest this or the greatest that. Jesus' ministry was a teaching ministry all throughout. His, sure, the miracles occurred. You know, wonderful potluck suppers went on, you know, as, you know, 5,000 people were fed all at once. You know, it was great experiences along the way, but his was a teaching ministry. Even after his resurrection, as he was revealing himself to people through the teaching of his word, he will teach us his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up swords again to nation, against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So a number of things. The first of which is that coming out of the seven years of tribulation, there are going to be survivors. There are going to be people that make it all the way through to the other side. Uh, some of them, uh, as it seems to be describing, are not believers. Okay, Because it really seems to tell us that anyone who becomes a believer during the tribulation, in general, meets one of two ends. They either starve to death, because the only way to acquire food is to have the mark of the beast, or they're put to death for refusing to take the mark. So death is the most prominent answer for anyone who chooses to be a believer during the seven years of tribulation. But there may be a few who avoid the starvation or the martyrdom that are believers. But right here we hear the Lord saying he's going to judge between the nations. So if they've survived, then they're going to be face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ as the King of glory ruling over the earth. And it seems, the scripture is telling us, then they will make the obvious choice to worship him at that point. It'll be a forcible worship. We read where he will rule and judge with a rod of iron. And the scripture even says, dashing them to pieces with a rod of iron. So, you know, if any nation or individual is foolish enough to resist Jesus Christ's ruling authority, then they're going to meet the wrath of the Lamb, which 
we'll talk about in a little bit. So those people, whoever, however they are, will be judged and rebuked. And at that point, the war will cease. Now, I've heard many uh, commentators say that they will take the nation's budgets for warfare and use them in the production of agriculture. Well, from what I'm reading and seeing, money is just going to become useless in the millennial kingdom. Money is a system of this world. It isn't something that God ordained in his processes. So forget budgets. Just talk about one people's learning, their understanding, and then their efforts. Right now, more than half of the world's scientists are engaged in the study and the development of warfare. More than half of the world's scientists. That's remarkable. And we're talking every level. Computer sciences and chemical sciences and engineering sciences, they're, they're all engaged in the study of warfare. It's a necessary thing. You know, we, we read this and, you know, all of my you know, peace-loving friends want to say, see right there, man, it's biblical. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares. We should all just stop right now. Lay down your weapons. Go ahead, lay down your weapons. And the wicked people will take over immediately because they're not going to put down their weapons. This is not the time to put down our weapons or to beat our swords into plowshares. Uh, remind you, Joel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the prophet says, Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war! Exclamation point. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weak say, I am strong. You know, our enemy wants us to think weak, act weak, behave weak. Because a weak opponent is easy to conquer. If you can convince Christianity to think weak, then we're already defeated. I cannot urge you enough to register to vote and get your butt and your neighbor's butt and your friend's frame into the voting booth in less than two weeks. We're in serious trouble right now, and we do need to fight for our nation, fight for our children, fight for our grandchildren. The method that we currently have is the voting booth. You see the rhetoric and the stupidity that's being generated with this push toward violence. I mean, how often have you heard me say this, church, recently? It's going to result in bad things. Look at the stuff that's unfolding this week. This is not the method we want. What we want to use is the process that God has given us in this nation. Vote. Please vote. The early polls are already showing that the godly understanding of government, as best as it can be framed, is actually going to win. But those are the early voting that has taken place. That's the you know ballots that have already been cast. That could shift and swing so badly by the time we get to uh, the day, we would regret it terribly. When you consider that... In Chicago, the last election two years ago, more than 125% of the people registered voted. That's corruption. That's impossible. Okay? You know, that's a debated issue to this day. You can't do that. That's Somebody's crooked. Okay? Every vote counts. 
We, we need to get, you can't sit back and just go, well, it's corrupt. There's nothing we can do about it. That's exactly what our enemy wants us to do. It's to just sit down and wait for it to all fall apart. This is the time of warfare that we are engaged in. And it isn't, this isn't a call. Just don't, don't let this feed some kind of stupid delusional thing in anybody's mind. It's here tonight or listening online. You know, Peter pulled out the sword and started physically attacking people. And Jesus said, you know, put that thing away. You know, am I leading a band of rebels? We're not called to violence that way. Uh, The Lord wants us to use the tools he's given us. The voting booth is it. So I'll leave that alone for now. It is war and uh, it's time for us to take the proper actions the time for peace will come, but Jesus Christ will usher that in. No man is going to usher that in. No peace movement is going to usher that in. No large group of flower children that have gone to seed standing on you know, their pedestal with their signs is going to bring that about. It is going to be Jesus Christ alone who brings peace to the earth. For now, it's all out war between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell, which is synonymous with the kingdom of men. So for now, we stand our ground. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6 says, For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. Oh man, I could go on about that for a long time. I'll circle around to it in just a moment. They are soothsayers like the Philistines and they are pleased with the children of foreigners so it's kind of veiled in the translation a little bit but that straight out idea of how the people of God spiritually have become infatuated with the eastern spiritualities That was going on in in, uh, Isaiah's day, and it is for sure going on today. You know, you got, uh, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism and even Islam. That, you know, the Western culture has become infatuated with and moved towards the New Age and all of that nonsense. I mean, we've kind of moved away from it a little bit, but you just look back a little bit and probe through the likes of Hollywood and Washington, D.C., and you find all these people that are talking to their fortune teller and their palm reader and, you know, their astrologists and, you know, all of these different weirdos that are giving them the worst advice in the world. They're following after the teachings You know, there's a reason those countries are destroyed and impoverished. Because the gods they worship have reduced them to that level. The reason this nation is as prosperous and as incredible as it is, is because of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with capitalism. Not at all. The worship of Jesus Christ has made this nation great. And why are we on the decline? Because our nation has become infatuated with the Eastern mysticism and also the soothsaying of the Philistines. You say, well, how does that apply today? You think about the fascination with the Norse gods. Right now, Thor and all of that class, right? How many... You know, people do you know that are, you know, watching some series about the Vikings or that that's the same idea. You know, casting the bones and reading the ruse and understanding all of the soothsaying of the Philistines, the primitive cultures. God has elevated his people and his culture, (coughs) excuse me, into a personal relationship with God, the creator of all things, and they're falling into this decline of worshiping the things that the foreigners do. Pleased with the children of foreigners is the idea of that which is born of the foreign worship systems. So, so you, you have you know these things that are ungodly, that are birthed out of these ungodly nations, spiritually speaking, that now God's people are infatuated 
with. And I hear people all the time, they're you know now involved with some weird thing as a Christian. And you say, what are you, what are you involved with that for? And, and they'll say, oh, well, I don't pay attention to that other job. I just really take this good side out of it. You know, it is time to throw the baby out with the bathwater in that case. Because the whole thing is murky and needs to be disposed of. The, the Lord is re, uh, rebuking them for it. Seven, their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. And there's no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their hands. Remember that phrase. That which their fingers have made. Yeah, you know, it, it isn't, you know, so much like it was back in these days. But if you summarize it as riches, the thing they honor and worship is riches and the works of their hands. Then, yeah, we're in the exact same condition. You know, look what I can do. Look what I've done for myself. Look how I built. Look what I made. Look at my hard work. Me, mine, I, and this is what I built, and wealth, prosperity, money. Materialism. Selfish materialism is the summary of this, and the Lord has very strong things to say about it. People bow down, verse 9 says, and each man humbles himself, therefore do not forgive them. Meaning they bow to the false idols. If this were Godly humility, the Lord would have said, show, show your grace to them. This is the fact that they're all bowing down to materialism. And he's saying, don't forgive them. Do not give them a pass in this case. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man should be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. Oh, if you're going to bow down, you're going to bow down to these idols, you're going to pursue selfishness and wealth, you're going to bow down to that, you should bow down. So therefore, the Lord's going to bow them down in humiliation. Right? I mean, what does he say in the New Testament? You can either throw yourself on the rock and be broken, or you can resist, and a little eventually fall on you and grind you to powder. The end result is the same. You're going to be broken. So much better to do it in humility than to do it in humiliation. Resisting to the bitter end is so much more destructive, right? When you're broken into pieces through humbling yourself, the Lord can rebuild us. When you're ground to powder through rebellion, the case is pretty much over at that point. You're just scattered in the wind in that process. So, enter into the rock, hide in the dust, for the terror of the Lord, the glory of his majesty, lofty looks of men humbled, haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So now he brings the summary back around to the latter days for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, everything lifted up and it shall be brought low upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up. That's uh, both this and upon all the oaks of Bashan. Both of those statements refer to humanity. You're not talking about the trees. He's talking about the way that People lift themselves up and exalt themselves like the trees. You know, if you've ever you know, been around a massive tree, I mean, it's just an impressive thing. You know, we were in Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina, and to be at the base of, I would say, pecan trees, but they all corrected us down there, and it's a pecan tree. Okay, so you know, you'd be at the base of a pecan tree which is a lot like oak trees, similar leaf shape, similar uh, nut-bearing, uh, you know, wood grain, whole nine yards. And the base of this tree is six foot straight through. The, 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 the trunk growing up out of the ground is six foot through the trunk. 
That's just really impressive. When, you know, what we call a lateral that comes off the tree and just goes straight out, goes out 30 feet both sides. Just, you know, 8 foot, 10 foot, 12 foot off the ground, this lateral just goes out. So that the, this thing is like 60 feet wide. Just this towering monstrosity of a tree standing there. I mean, you know, you see it from a distance, you're like, that's a big tree. You stand right underneath, you're like awestruck. Where this thing is, you know, I could put like six swings on this branch. You know, you'd love to have this thing in your front yard. It's an astonishing... This is how men had elevated themselves. Like when you stand in my shadow, you should be struck with awe, with my majesty and my glory. And, and you know, the Lord is saying, you know, you've lifted yourself up, man. You know, I mean, in the end, you know, the Lord can reduce a tree in a, in a very short period of time. It was amazing to see those trees so strong, so noble, so majestic. And the storm surge had come in and just saturated the ground until the root system that was holding that tree in the ground was now just in mud. There's no strength to the soil. After days of that standing there and the wind is still blowing and those trees would just lay over on their side and the root ball would just stick up in the air. And the rain would just wash all the dirt and earth off. And you get there and it's this like horrifying picture of this majestic tree. And it's now worthless. Just get the chainsaws. Little bit of rain, little bit of rain. Massive amount of rain, massive amount of wind. Majesty's over. It's done. Three days. You know, a century of majestic tree growth reduced to firewood. In three days, you know, you, you know, properties owners there just weeping and sobbing convulsively over all. We're at this guy. I'll shift to humor. We're at this guy Chris's house, and uh, there's oak trees that are, you know, they were nearly eighty feet tall, and they were four foot through, five foot through in spots, and they're all just like pickup sticks smashed, just laying all over the property. One of them's right through the middle of his house. So we're cutting them up and pulling them off and cleaning out his property. And it's like 110 degrees. It's like 99% humidi humidity. You're just melting in the Louisiana heat. And we stop and we're sitting under this garage stoop having some lunch. And he's made us a real southern sweet tea. So we're sitting there drinking, and I, I'm saying, Chris, I, I couldn't live here. It's just way too hot. This is like crazy. I, I'll take all the snow you want me to shovel. But you're telling me it's like this for like three months out of the year where it's unbearably hot? I couldn't handle that much heat. And Chris takes a sip off his tea and says, yeah, well, it was a lot hotter last summer. Of course, there was a lot more shade, too. All of his trees are laying on the ground. So, you know, it's just, he got to see some humor in it in the moment. He's just turning around. He's a believer, brother, just funny moment. You know, that which is so majestic, reduced. God has all the power in the universe at his disposal. Go ahead, elevate yourself through your selfishness and, and, and your materialism and lift yourself up. We'll just reduce you to toothpicks when we're done. Won't be a blessed thing left. You know, upon all the high mountains, upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish. Again, that's that majestic, noble sailing vessel that everyone was so enthralled by and upon all the beautiful sloops the loftiness of men shall be bowed down every majestic thing they've constructed is going to be brought to humility and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low the lord alone will be exalted in that day the idols he shall utterly abolish 
no idolatry during the millennial reign, not in any way. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises and shakes the earth mightily. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver, his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats. Again, that's the cave dwellers to go into the clefts of the rock and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises and shakes the earth mightily. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils for of what account is he? That statement for his breath is in his nostrils. The Lord says that many times. And the idea there is, I put that breath in your nostrils. And every single one of us is always one breath, one breath away from eternity. You could choke out right now for unforeseen reasons and be done. You, the breath you just drew in could literally be your last. That's how frail we are. We don't think of ourselves that way. I become more and more conscious of that over the years because I, I suffer from sleep apnea. There are two types. One is obstructive and one is central. Obstructive is when your airway closes off. Many people suffer from that, where you're laying and your throat closes down and you stop breathing. The other is central, which is to do with your nervous system. It stops sending the signal to your lungs to breathe. I suffer from both, central and obstructive. At night, I stop breathing. It's literally somewhat miraculous when I wake up every morning. For real. You could be suffering from the same thing and have no idea. No idea whatsoever. Our breath is literally one breath away. Lori, Ashley, Brianna, there's a crew out there. They'll come get you if they need you. We have a number system. All three were like corresponding the signals back there. They'll send the signal if they need you. They know how to put a tourniquet on. It's all right. That, that was a joke, ladies. That was, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's it's going to be okay. All right. Uh, so uh, how about this? Let's go to Revelation in regard to this great earthquake and this falling into the caves and going into the caves and throwing all of their idols in the cave. Revelation chapter 6. Let's, let's jump to the end of the book. And uh, take a look at a couple of things. We'll come back to Isaiah in just a moment. Revelation chapter 6. Speaking of the end, we get this uh, clear description of this catastrophe that's going to be taking place during the Great Tribulation, the seven years of God's wrath poured out on an unbelieving planet. It says... In verse 12, Revelation chapter 6, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? 
You know, this idea of them going into the rocks and going into the caves could seem absurd, but then you start thinking about the apocalyptic end of the earth and the preparations that men and nations are making. They're literally building themselves caves in the mountains. They're literally building these shelters and retreat centers where the heads of state can go into the mountains and hide and supposedly potentially survive. They've literally got drilling machines inside these locations so that if they go in and they become buried inside, they can mine their way out of them. It's crazy to consider that what the scripture is saying, humanity's preparing for, without even believing that this could be true. So it's an incredible thing uh, to my mind to see where the world's cultures have come. All over the world, the greatest nations in the world have literally made cave-dwelling preparations for themselves in case of an apocalyptic end. You know, initially the thought process was they needed to do it in case of nuclear war. But over time, they've come to realize that the greater threat, and this is for real, the greater threat is actually earthquakes. They've designed these systems to withstand the greatest intensities of shaking from nuclear capabilities. But now they're realizing, I mean, have you guys looked at the World Geological Survey's, uh, you know, construction of uh, earthquake uh, tracking? I mean, what we've tracked for nearly 100 years now, we're on an exponential rise. There, there are earthquakes all over the world. Every Japan experiences somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 earthquakes a day. You know, most of them are, you know, down around a single point on the Richter scale, 1.5, sometimes as high as 2. Japan leads the world in earthquake technologies, okay, vibration-proof glass and all these different things in their high-rises that they've constructed. Uh, but they're an archipelago. They're, they're on this ring of fire in the Pacific that is constantly shifting. And, you know, the earthquake and the volcanic activity is off the charts right now. And it isn't just, like, in number. You know, there used to be a hundred and now there's a thousand. It's, it's not even that. It's like there used to be a hundred big ones every, you know, hundred years. Now there's like a thousand huge ones every five minutes. It's, I'm exaggerating, but it's amazing the degree to which we are increasing in this activity. And then what do we read in both of these locations? That when it comes to the cataclysmic end, What's going to have the greatest geographical impact is going to be earthquakes. You know, some of that is speculated to be that you're looking at a meteorological events, the impact of asteroids, you know, that, that are actually slamming into the planet. Uh, some people think that uh, there's going to be an actual misalignment of planets that could take place. A, a lot of people um, that uh, study where the Earth is, we... You've heard of the golden zone or the Goldilocks zone that we're at just the right distance from the sun in order to have liquid water and we travel around. Uh, two things that are frequently missed about all these people that are looking for life on other planets and in other systems. Uh, we have two catchers in our nine planet solar system that protect us all the time. One is Jupiter. It's a massive gravity giant that's traveling around the sun with us, and it is sucking in all of the asteroids that would just absolutely decimate this planet. The smaller ones that are missed, traveling too fast and have the wrong trajectory, our moon picks up. That's why the surface is so completely pocked. Without Jupiter and without the moon, we would not be here. This planet in its perfect position, we would have been obliterated long ago. 
So when they're looking out at these other solar systems saying that could potentially have life. Okay, you've got a planet on a cool star at the right orbital track. Does it also have two giant solar collectors that are picking up all the asteroid activity in their environment? We miss one of those things and it slams into the surface of the Earth. Uh, that one in Arizona that has a crater that's nearly a mile wide. They're literally saying that may actually be the thing that caused Noah's flood and a worldwide ice age. That's a relatively small asteroid. We get something slightly larger or multiple times bigger. You know, you read the book of Revelation and it says that a star falls from the sky, hits the planet, and poisons all of the water sources, wormwood. So... You know, the idea, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying, you know, like our breath, we are so fragile. Isn't it comforting when they tell us nine days ago, you know, a meteor missed this planet? They knew it was there. And, you know, you think, well, I mean, how close could it have been? 120,000 miles. That's really close. What's the moon? 180,000 miles? That's really close. So, you know, when we're reading these things, understand it's, it's very possible to see these things take place. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1 says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock in the store. Now, uh, there are commentaries that go into great lengths to explain uh, the gender of these two references and how, it, in the end, what it means is everything. The stock in the store. Your provisions are going to be taken away, is what the Lord is saying. The whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water. Now, that's pretty easy to understand. No need to know the Greek in order to make that translation, or the Hebrew in this case. The mighty men of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captains of 50, the honorable men, the counselor and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. Now, listen, if you go through that list, we've already lost all of that stuff. We're in the process or we've already lost all of this stuff. You know, the mighty men. Think, think about the crisis we have right now for our culture and men knowing what men are. We're in a serious crisis over this. You know, the man of war, the true, the true hero, and, and the man of valor. The judge, they don't know what's right and wrong. The prophet, I mean, you turn on the television and look what passes for prophet today. It's scary prospects. You know, the diviner, the person that can understand spiritual things. The elder, the person that we look to for that older wisdom. Our culture doesn't pay attention to these things. The captain of 50, all of these, you know, the skillful, the skillful artisan. You know, it's interesting uh, to me uh, to see the things that were constructed, you know, in the 1800s and how, how, Strong and durable and reliable buildings and materials and machinery were then. And, you know, you, everything you buy now is intended to be disposable. The skillful artisan, the expert enchanter, the person with uh, the smooth speech and um, skillful language. I will give children to be your princes and babes shall rule over them. The young people will take control. The people will be oppressed, every one by another, every one by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. Isn't that such a reflection of not just our culture, the world culture? When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, you have clothing, be our ruler. What an odd thing, you know. Nice suit, man. How'd you like to be the president? That's all it takes? Yeah. You just got to look good. 
You know, you don't have to be clear. You don't have to have understanding. You just got to look sophisticated. <laughs> just Elon Musk is just great, isn't he? The head of Tesla. Everybody thinks the guy's a genius. He's 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 on national syndicated radio, smoking pot, talking to investors, and can't understand why that day, like his company's stock plummeted. You got you got your CEO on national radio smoking weed. Yeah, who wants to invest in that company? You know, and what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that um, this isn't actually reality we live in. This is all a computer simulation. That the odds now, because of all the computer simulations that have been created, where there are these alternate universes where everyone's living and creating all of these things, that there are so many multiple times more alternate universes inside the cyber world that the odds that this is reality and not a simulation are much lower than we're actually in a simulation, not reality. Yeah, but man, he looks good in his suit. You know what I'm saying? This is literally what the scripture is saying. You know, the people look on and don't actually say, you know, prove your intelligence to us. Prove to us, uh, you know, your your uh, business discipline, your your schooling, your understanding, your capabilities. Just they're looking at the outward. It's it's so unfortunate. You be our ruler and let these ruins be under your power. I, that that's just such a poetic statement. You know, you you've got clothes. You be our ruler. You could rule over all these ruins. <laughs> this will be your kingdom. This decimated location where no one wants to live anymore so crazy and that day he will protest saying i cannot cure your ills for in my house is neither food nor clothing do not make me a ruler of the people literally i don't have any answers for you and isn't that the mantra of the world you go find your own answers i got no answers myself everyone's looking to one have you got answers have you got answers have you got answers nobody's got any answers I'm just fumbling along like you are. Why? Because they aren't turning to where the answers are. They're not turning their hearts towards the Lord. This is, you know, a lot of this, you guys, is not even God pronouncing judgment. He's just saying, this is where you're at. He, he's just making an assessment of their circumstances and what they've come to. For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. They have gay pride parades in the middle of their streets. They're proud of their sin. And they flaunt it. That's literally what the Lord is saying. Like Sodom and Gomorrah. And don't let anybody tell you anything otherwise. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. That's the ultimate deterioration of a society. When it, it abandons its natural sexual orientation. It goes after that corrupt perversion. Again, I need to be clear of how much we love the homosexuals and want them to know the same freedom and love of Christ that we've experienced. It's not a hatred or a rejection of them, but that is an expression of rebellion against God and the very creation that he's made us. When we pursue that, they don't, they don't hide it. They declare their sin as Sodom, and they do not hide it. Woe! to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given to him. As for my people, children are their oppressors. A woman and women rule over them, O oh, my people. Those who lead you 
cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Nothing against the ladies. That's not what's being said here. It's the idea that the strong leadership is lost. It's gone. I mean, the scripture itself gives us many like Esther and Ruth and Deborah who led their countries. God doesn't speak ill of women anywhere along the way. The idea is the strength is gone and they now are relying upon a weakness that leads them astray. They're following leaders that lead them to err and destroy the way of your paths, the the way of the Lord's paths and his followers. I'll remind you of a verse right here, Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. The Lord says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. It's a shame to see men and women in the pulpit who, when people are coming to the end of themselves because of sinfulness, and they come to that church or that pulpit, or that pastor seeking direction, and then that pastor, that leader says, oh, actually there's not even a problem here. God will accept you in your sin just like you are. Just continue on as you were. Don't don't make any changes. They're obstructing the entrance into heaven. These people are coming brokenhearted into these churches and into these denominations saying, show me the path. Show me the way. Lead me into righteousness. And these so-called ministers are saying, hey, no need to make any changes. Just continue on down the same road you're currently on. How destructive. How evil. How incredibly evil to be a person that would steer someone off course that way. It's really a condemnable thing. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 13, the Lord stands up. To plead. Now you think about that for a minute, right? If there's a person of authority and you've, you know, been in rebellion to that person of authority and the conflict's kind of gone back and forth between your behavior and their statements and his judgment upon you and what you're continuing to do and suddenly they stand up. It's like, you know, you know, the punishment's coming now. You know, you know, you've stirred up the trouble to where. There's no turning back. You know, having raised children, you know, they each said that, you know, times like that with me were that way. You know, they they knew. You know, talk was, you know, intimidating enough. But when I stopped talking, stood up and moved into action, then they were all done. Whatever was supposed to be done, they'll just go do it now. So it is here with the Lord. The Lord stands up to plead. The Lord stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people. They should have been ruling and they're not. So now he's going to bring the fire on them of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts? Literally, the ruler of the heavenly armies. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, lustful eyes, walking and mincing in a provocative way as they go, making a jingling with their feet, the bells and ornaments that they wore around their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. Their beauty is going to evaporate. The Lord will uncover their secret parts, literally strip them naked and march them away in chains as slaves. 3.18, in that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, the headbands, the shopping mall is basically going away right here. There'll be no more luxury. The perfume boxes, the charms, the rings, the nose jewels, 
the festive apparels, the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, the robes. You get the picture that the Lord is kind of upset with all these things? And so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there shall be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth. A branding instead of beauty, literally marking them like cattle, just burning the brand in. This one belongs to the Assyrians. This one belongs to the Babylonians now, just burning them like they're so much cattle. Slavery. Your men shall fall by the sword. You're mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn. And she being desolate, shall sit on the ground. All the prosperity, all the good, all the wealth, all that was beautiful and pleasant, wiped out because of the rebellion to the Lord. It's a sad commentary that this is what lies ahead for any nation, including America, that once worshipped God and then re make no mistake, you guys, this is not just picturesque. This is very, very, very literal. This lies ahead for this nation if it doesn't allow God to break its heart. To come to the place where it will worship and serve Jesus Christ. Yeah, I like the fact that right in the midst of that, it says, let the righteous know that they'll eat the fruit of their conduct. And the wicked will also receive the reward of theirs. If we will follow the Lord, regardless of what our nation does, we as individuals can be blessed in the process and experience his love and his graciousness. But don't deceive yourself. If we're not personally doing that, if we're serving any of these false idols along the way, then we're going to suffer the punishment that comes with everybody else. Let, let the warning actually be a comfort that there's a way of escape in the process. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your love and the way that you work in our lives. Please help us to be men and women who are submitted to you, Lord. We have to admit that in our natural state, we are godless, unrighteous sinners. Lord, because of your grace and your mercy, we love you. We appreciate you and what you do and who you are in our lives. Help us to follow you day by day, to take up our cross to see your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. As always, stay in fellowship as long as you want to.